What happens when you take a redneck fishing guide and pair him up with a master beekeeper? Well, we're about to find out. Join our host Ken Milam and John Swan as they help you brave the sting of beekeeping to reap the sweet rewards. This is The Hive Jive. We're on. We're on. Yep. We're on, and uh, yep. October is over. Nope, October's over. October's and we, over. Yeah, let's see, summer was a week ago, and then it got winter. And I don't know what the hell they did with fall, but I'd really like it back. <laughs> I think it'll be back Monday. It might be. Yeah. They're talking about the temperatures coming back up, so that would be nice. 70s, Monday, 78 to 79, Tuesday, and then 75, Wednesday. Yeah, I can handle that. Yeah. That'd be all right. The So, no more bonus episodes every single week for you guys. That was our, our special little you. gift in uh, in October. And so, now you're back to your regularly scheduled one new episode every Monday, which that's still plenty, um, unless Ken goes off on some major tangents you here. You never know. <laughs> you never can tell. Hmm. Um, but uh, hopefully, you guys enjoyed everything there for the month of October. You enjoyed all the bonus episodes. We got a lot of fun feedback from everybody on our Spooky Halloween episode for our scary bee stories. Everybody well, liked the How did the, they like the, the boobies? They liked the boobies. Okay. Um, yeah, in fact, uh, I think my favorite hashtag out of all of them was just the simply sorry, not sorry. <laughs> so that was uh, that was pretty entertaining. Um, definitely enjoyed everybody's feedback and everything on that stuff. So that is great. Today, though, we did the episode uh, about a month ago, I think or more, actually, about the winter prep for northern states. Yeah. And so now let's talk about winter for the southern states. And this this becomes very specific, very localized to where you're at, because even though we're here in central Texas, mm-hmm. you go on down a little bit further south from us, some of these things may not apply. If you go all the way down to Florida, these things probably definitely don't apply because Florida doesn't really ever have like winter, winter, you know, and we barely have a winter as it is. So it's we have all a day or two. We do. We do. Yeah. yeah. Um, I like to joke that we have, you know, maybe the total cumulative of two to three weeks spread out over three or four months. <laughs> maybe. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so but this, so this is all very it's all very situational. It's all based on your location and where you guys are at. And so some of this stuff can apply. Some of it cannot. Um, Don't, uh, like with anything out there that you go through and you listen to and you read and you hear, don't panic and immediately go completely the opposite direction and do, you know, way, way, way overboard on certain things. Um, It's not necessarily required, especially depending on what's going on in your region. Because even for us here, um, some years it cooperates and some years it doesn't. But down here, we have pollen available almost all year round. Even during the winter months when you wouldn't think anything is going on, we have our cedar trees are releasing pollen in January and February. And there is the... Yeah, they release it all over the damn place. They do. Yeah, they all over <laughs> everything. And everybody gets a cedar fever yep. and, it, and it goes crazy and everybody's allergies are bad. But that pollen is out there and it's available. And if it's warm enough for the bees... They will very, very happily go and partake of of any of those resources that they can find to kind of help supplement themselves. So knowing what's available, what's going on, um, how that all interplays with the bees, that's very crucial. So paying attention to your environment and what's going on around you is a great thing. 
So we'll go through and uh, we'll talk through. I know Ken's had several questions here over the past couple of weeks about, you know, his bees and winter prep. Mm -hmm. And so we'll go through. We'll talk about those. We'll give some counterpoints to some things and just kind of give everybody just that that last little wrap up for the winter. We are now in November. And basically, like for myself in November, I will do one more main check, depending on what the temperatures and stuff are doing, somewhere around the, the second week. And then after that, I'm done. I lock them up and they stay. And, uh, you know, I might go back out on some of the warm days and peek around and stuff. But you really don't do beekeeping in the wintertime. That's the that's your off season. Those are your couple of months where you get to relax and let the bees tend to themselves and kind of do their, you know, they don't really hibernate, but they they calm down and they stay in there just to stay warm and vibrate to generate their heat. So, uh, all right, sir. It's when they sharpen up their damn stinger. <laughs> You see them bees back there with files filing those stingers. <laughs> By golly, when he comes back in the spring, I'm going to be ready yeah, for we're him. going to be ready in the springtime. We're going to sting the hell out of him. <laughs> yep, no. <nope. laughs> but you know, do we need to talk? Let's see, we've are, I've already started turning. We've talked about the reducer boards, right? No. We did, but go ahead and, and, and bring up. What you read, your your I was reading back. a a blog and uh, won't say where nothing like that, and it was uh, it is from I will say this it is from a commercial beekeeper. It is, and he was saying that you should never use the little board, <laughs> little hole in the board, be in the reducer board, because what happens a lot of time there's bees are constantly dying in your hive. Every day, there's some bees die, and if they die in front of the hole, it'll cover the hole up, and then your bees suffocate. But now, so that made me think, okay, why did John tell me? But then right after that, almost the next sentence is, Ken, you have to put the ventilation. You're going to have to use the uh, inner covers with the bee escape now. The top top entrance uh, for ventilation. And see, that, that comes into play not necessarily because of the bees dying and, and covering up the hole. That one, when you told me that one, I, I wanted to laugh um, in some regards because the, the concept almost, when you read that, almost makes it sound like they're right above the entrance and they're literally yeah. just well, going it, to it start falling in mass and yeah. like raining down until you have this pile of dead bees over the front of the entrance and they can't do anything about it. Well, most of the time that cluster is not always like up against the side or up against the front or the back. They're kind of I in the middle of the I comb. I think they would have been against the front or the <laughs> yeah, back. I mean, I, that's what I was thinking, in the middle. Yeah, they're kind of in the middle of the comb or in the middle of wherever you've got some open spot on the comb. Well, because that's the insulation, too. Well, in, in your, your honey, a lot of times if you think of how the comb is, your honey on the frames that are even open, they'll have an arc of honey mm -hmm. across the top and, then, and down a little bit on the sides. So mm -hmm. that kind kind of pushes them more towards the, the center of that comb. But when they're in the comb and they're going through and they're they're doing their winter chores and they're trying to stay warm and they're eating the food, you do definitely have, you know, you, you've got bees that are constantly dying. And when it's cold outside and they can't get out of the hive, then those bees are still going to die inside the hive. Right. So, yes, you do have a die-off. That happens all year long. Most of the time, though, when it's really warm, those bees die outside of the colony. Mm -hmm. Or you don't really notice it because the bees will take them and they'll they'll move them off. But what I have experienced, in, and part of this comes from like a top bar hive, right? 
you've experienced this, and we've had some listeners experience this, where if the bees, if they have trash that they can't get out of the entrance, what they're going to end up doing is they're going to turn around and they carry it to the back of the hive. In a top yep. bar, they put it in the far back yep. corner of the hive, so it's out of the way. Mm-hmm. It's a far away from the rest of the colony so that the comb in the colony still stays clean and pristine and healthy, but all the dead bodies are in the back. Mm-hmm. And you go back there and you open it up to like check a feeder, and there's all these dead bees back by the feeder, and you're like, what happened? The bees put them there. They mm-hmm. moved them back and put them out of that way. Now, if your colony is strong... They can do that. When What happens is, you know, when it does warm up enough that they break cluster, they go and they start cleaning. And they'll pull one bee out through that hole at a time, and they'll take it out and clean it out. But if they can't, they'll move them away, too. So the, the situations where your bees could fall directly in front of that small one-inch entrance and clog it up completely, I have never experienced that in the wintertime, ever. I've experienced it in the summertime only from a removal perspective whenever you're doing the cutouts and you have everybody in there and then you dump a large quantity of bees in there. Sometimes, and it's also hot, they will you will get this pile of dead bees right at the entrance because they're all clamoring trying to get out mm-hmm. and they clog it up. And if they clog it up, a lot of times it's because they literally clog the hole. And if you're not going out there and frequently checking and making sure that that is open, then they'll overheat and they suffocate and they die inside there because, again, it is hot. But I've never experienced that in the wintertime. Now, it's not to say that it's not possible, Mm -hmm. but to go from you should never use the smallest entrance. In fact, don't use the entrance reducer at all, which was the other thing in there. Yeah, that's what he said. Um, Don't use it because they don't. Yeah, they don't. And, And, you know, there's some things in there that, to them, they don't use entrance reducers because of mainly the process that a commercial beekeeper goes through. When you've got 2,000 hives, right. do you really have the time to walk out there and put 2,000 entrance reducers in there and then to come back and flip them and then to come back and take them out before you move them? It's a step that can be eliminated for the sake of time and monotony when you've got that many hives, right? But if you're an individual beekeeper and you have one or two colonies out there, it's not that big of a deal for you to go and put your insurance reducer on, you know, to have it flipped around. That small hole, it exists for a reason. It exists because they do prefer something three inches or less. So the bigger hole on the entrance reducer is a three-inch hole. Right. And the smaller hole is a one-inch hole. Right. That one-inch hole helps with robbing, which at this time of the year, if you're already up north and you're in winter and it's, you know, zero degrees in the morning. They ain't robbing. They're not going to be any robbing. No. But down here, we're going now on our little roller coaster cycle where it was, well, it's it was, I don't know, 40-something degrees this Yesterday morning. Yesterday morning, it was... A killing frost at my house. That's it was true. White. Yeah, and the grass and everything was actually frosted yesterday too. morning. Whenever we got up, so we had our first frost. It's not a deep frost for us because the daytime temperatures are still high. Oh yeah. And as you were saying at the beginning of the show, we're going to turn around and we're going to go back into the upper 60s, and by late in the week, we'll be in mm-hmm. the 70s again. So what happens during these time periods is now it's warmed back up. And there isn't really any food out there because the flowers that may have been available, they might have gotten knocked out by that frost or they've stopped producing anything. So the bees are going to go look, they're going to want to forage, and that can then incite robbing again if there's anything out there where they can get a hold of it. So that smaller entrance helps your hive protect it as well. But everything in beekeeping is a contradiction. You will be able to find somebody who will say exactly the opposite of everybody else always because it's always a contradiction and sometimes they're not wrong 
based on their specific situations, their circumstances, and what they've done. So there may be instances where a commercial beekeeper has experienced hundreds of bees dying and falling directly in front of an entrance. Mm -hmm. But the other question to that could have been why or when, you know, when did that occur? Did the entire colony die and did they die because they chilled and they froze? And so all the bees fell at once and it, they didn't die because they clogged it. They clogged it when they all died. <laughs> like, there's you so know, many different things in yep. there. You know, that, that, that uh, statement that you just made, you know, everybody's looking at a different situation with everything that we talk about with bees. Like, I met an old beekeeper the other day. Uh, in fact, many have talked about him before. Well, I went out to find him, and this guy, he goes, he has nothing but feral bees. He got mean bees. They got to be, you know, they're Africanized because they are mean. You just get too close and they come after you. So he said, yeah, that was the honeymakers. I said, okay. But anyway, I said, well, have you ever thought about requeening them? He looked at me. He says, you're talking city, city beekeeping there. <laughs> city beekeeping. <laughs> I says, have you ever been around requeen bees or been carniolans or? All I do is feral bees because they're better. They live better in the wintertime and they make better honey. That's okay. I just figure I better shut up now. Yeah. Well, if you live out in the country, you know, again, this is where that situational and circumstantial stuff comes into play. If you live out in the country and you don't have neighbors right there beside you and you don't have to worry about kids playing in the backyard mm -hmm. and animals and people mowing and edging the property line, you absolutely can have whatever kind of bees you want. But in the city, if we're talking to urban beekeepers and they're going to have one hive in their backyard, you absolutely want to talk about the responsibility of beekeeping and the genetics and making sure that your bees are tame and docile. And if they requeen themselves and they maintain that, that's awesome. But if it ever gets to the point where they are not, then you need to be the responsible individual that gets in there and requeens them so that you keep your neighbors and your pets and the children and everybody safe. And that's kind of one of the things where in his specific scenario, he doesn't have to worry about that. He's the only one out there around him. There isn't any neighbors close by. So it doesn't matter if his bees are mean as hell. And if he's willing to deal with the, you know, bad attitudes mm -hmm. when he goes out there and, and he does any of his management and stuff like that, then that's, that's fine. I also, though, would be very suspect of how much management he does or doesn't do. I would think that he's probably not out there every other no, week no. doing any type of in-depth inspections because they're mean and he doesn't want to deal with them. It's not worth it. So right. he just slaps boxes on whenever it's time and takes boxes off and extracts them when it's time. And that's his equivalent of beekeeping. I'm pretty sure that's probably it. You're right. <laughs> I know uh, his his cousin or nephew or something, I deal with, I talk to him pretty regularly because he lives not too far from me. And he's always telling me, he says, Ken, he says, I just can't get him to help me with my hive. I says, why? I don't know. He says, are you raising Italians? I don't mess with Italian bees. Oh. I says, how's he saying? Oh, I bought a package of bees two years ago. I said, does he know that those probably aren't Italian now? Yeah, they're, they're something else. <laughs> I mean, they, every, every season, a colony, if especially left to their own devices, they're going to swarm at least once. Mm -hmm. 
If not, more than that. And every time they do, you know, your chances for that genetic change come into play. And if you have, if you're the only person in an area with a genetic lineage of a bee and everything else around you is feral of, of, of God only knows what, mm -hmm. then every time they're mating, those are foreign genetics coming in that could have any different amount of properties and stuff to them. So you're right. Those Italian bees were Italian when you bought them. But yep. by the end of that second year, they're not at all. No. <laughs> you know, that's one thing that's, that's crazy about out there where we live. There was, some 10 or 15 years ago, there was a couple of guys, and one of them passed away, and they were beekeepers, and they had a lot of hives. I mean, a lot of hives, and they were selling honey, and, and I think this is why we have so many swarms in our area was because of them, because they just let the hives go. Yeah. And once the once the the two guys that was taking care of them, one of them died. The other, and he moved to Austin, and just left it to the kids. And the kids didn't want to mess with them. Well, you know the on our scary bee stories episode when I told the story about the Africanized hive that mm -hmm. was like a cartoon with tentacles that came after me. Mm -hmm. So the other half of that story out there is that lady. When I got to question her later and have a more in depth conversation about the area, when they originally bought the property, they found rotted hives that had actually like collapsed on themselves and fallen down wow. where, where they had all rotted all the way out but they were mm -hmm. langstroth boxes and she said the whole back like 10 15 acres of their property was in. just random hives here and there and everywhere wow. and so they'll be out there cleaning and mowing and they'd find this old dilapidated hive that had you know collapsed a, a wall had caved and it collapsed over on itself and so there's just piles of boxes out there well if so then if you think about it Somebody me had doing a bunch of Right, and then me doing the removal next door, that's no longer bizarre, because at first I was like, wow, so there's there's two colonies mm -hmm. inside this one trailer, there's one colony underneath the shop, you know, and there, mm -hmm. there's all these feral colonies out there, but then next door is the epicenter of where they all came from. As those were left abandoned, first mm -hmm. off, like you said, they're swarming every single year, mm -hmm. then the colonies themselves have to abscond and leave because the hive rots and falls down. Mm -hmm. So they're just spreading throughout the area out there. Uh, another good example of that is south of Austin, um, where Circuit of the Americas is, the racetrack. Mm -hmm. Yeah, where Coda is racing yeah, this Coda. weekend. So Coda, at one point, he who shall not be named, mm -hmm. um, decided that he was going to put a bunch of bees out there so that it could basically be a publicity stunt. And it was the... It was the October of 2015, I think, where we had this massive mega storm system come through and we had tornadoes and we had flooding and all this stuff. And Onion Creek flooded and a bunch of the other waterways out there flooded and it completely washed away that entire bee yard. And there, there were not nearly as many hives as he claimed. He, like, tripled the number, but there was still over 100 hives out there legitimately mm -hmm. that all of a sudden this flood hit. The bees either drowned or, <laughs> knowing that it was coming, or at the last second, they absconded to go try to find somewhere else to live and, and find safety, right? So now, you fast forward even just a year or two after that, for a, quite a while, every time I would get a phone call, it was somewhere between Buda and Creedmoor out there by Circuit of the Americas. And it was constantly like, oh, we've got a swarm here. We've got a colony that's been living inside this container. And some of them, when you go through and do the removal, you can tell they've been there for a couple of years. And so 
Were there a lot of bees out there prior to that? I don't know. But after that happened, there certainly was because there was a lot of colonies that suddenly got misplaced and had to find new homes. And now there's one guy that literally lives right across the street from Circuit of the Americas. And he has, I have done four separate removals on his property alone to the point where like it's, it's now just almost a running joke. Like he calls me and I'll be, I'm like, you, you better not be calling me because you got bees out there. And he's like, I got bees again, you know, and they just they just keep coming because they're also out there in the country somewhere where wherever that parent colony is, it could be inside of some old, you know, rusted barrel right. somewhere that we haven't found. Yep. And so it just keeps swarming. And they've we've taken three of them out of the walls of his house and one from underneath his porch. That was the four main ones on his house. <laughs> and then we've taken uh, two separate ones that were inside. One was underneath a pile of wood and a pallet. The other one was inside of a fence post, like a, a <laughs> cast iron yeah. hollow tube fence post. And it was at a little bit of an angle and they had built the comb all the way down inside of it. So oh, yeah. um, I have no idea what this all has to do with winter. <laughs> <laughs> it's winter. We uh, it's we winter. got way off topic real fast. It's winter. Um, but so, yeah, so so to backtrack a little bit on that, it it's all circumstantial. I think that's really kind of what where yeah. we got off on that is it's all circumstantial. Yeah. So, yeah, you guys can go through and you can listen to stuff from us and then you can turn around and you can find anything out there to contradict it because that, yeah. that's the beauty of the Internet. Um, there's always going to be a different opinion and a different thing on there. But I think a lot of times it comes down to asking more in-depth questions about like, well, what led up to that specific situation? Yeah. You know, how did that come into play? So, so what were some of the other questions that you had over the last couple of weeks in regards to making sure your bees were good to go for winter? You know, how much uh, I know I have looked and I've gone through, but still, you said, have I got enough food for them? Okay, we're going to have three days of warm weather. So I figure Monday I'm putting a, a quart of, of two-to-one syrup on for each half. Although I know they've had got plenty in there, but I'm going to put one on anyway. Well, so you brought something up, uh, I think it was about a week and a half ago, right before the freeze hit. Mm-hmm. And I got I was really tickled by it. Um, and it, it occurred to me that that exact thought is probably the same thought that a lot of our listeners, our first-year beekeepers, mm-hmm. actually had as well. And you were like, well... But it's getting ready to be cold and it's going to freeze for a couple of days. And, and you know, are they going to be OK? Are they going to have enough food to make it through those couple of days? Mm-hmm. And I chuckled and then I had to kind of reiterate it back to you in a different stance. The whole point of getting enough food and everything in there for the bees for winter is that they will then turn around and they're going to be stuck in that hive eating the food mm-hmm. for like three months, depending mm-hmm. on where you're at. Right. So if they can make it on the food that they have for three months, Mm -hmm. why would they eat themselves out of house and home just in two days? Hell, I don't know, because they're bees. (laughs) But that's just it. (laughs) So the main resource expenditure for the bee is Mm -hmm. flying. And when they're flying, and they're then especially foraging, because now they're not only flying, but they're carrying multiple times their weight back and forth, right? Mm -hmm. The next energy expenditure is raising brood, which they don't do in the wintertime. Mm -hmm. Outside of that, the biggest resource consumption outside of those two energy expenditures is building wax, which they also do not do in the wintertime. So in the winter, when it does get cold, they get up inside that colony and they huddle together. Mm -hmm. They vibrate, which does use energy, but Mm -hmm. it uses a very low amount of energy. 
and they vibrate and generate that heat and they stay warm and they just do cleaning tasks and they, they maintain and they feed the queen and they do little things here and there. They might raise tiny little spots of brood depending on your, your uh, race of bees and where you're located. So down in Florida, they may raise brood all year long. Up here, you know, well, in central Texas, right. depending on the race of bees, some of them will completely stop. Some of them will raise small patches of brood all year long. So it all is, again, circumstantial, but they're not going to burn through 30 pounds of food right. in, in two days, right. right? Right. So we don't have to worry about these little snaps where it's getting cold, especially at the beginning. What you really need to worry about when it comes to a cold snap is at the end of winter. And that's because by the end of winter, they have been going for several months eating through those food stores. And the colony population has been drastically decreased because all winter long, as we mentioned at the beginning, mm -hmm. they are dying over winter and they're, they're kind of getting smaller and shrinking in size. So you come to February, like the end of February for us is a real difficult time because your cluster that could have started off, you know, 20,000 is down around 10,000. And sometimes it could be less depending on the size of the colony. If it was a nuke, it started around 10 or 15,000 and now it may be down to 5,000. So you've got this drastic loss in population. The colony is getting smaller, which means there's not enough bees or there's not as many bees to continue to heat and generate that colony. And there may not be a lot of food left inside there either. So when February comes, for us, we'll have days that'll reach the 80s in like January and some parts of February. And then we've got that week or two towards the middle or end of February where it'll drop to 20 degrees or below and our highs will be 20. And it's very random out of nowhere, but we lose colonies then. Because now all of a sudden there's not 30,000 bees to generate that heat. There's like a fraction of them left and they can't generate the heat and they don't have as much food left. That's when we really have to be cautious of what's going on with the colony. Not necessarily coming into November or, or you know, the very beginning of December type thing. Right. But what I was thinking about, okay, if they have eight any stores and because they haven't been out in the last two or three days. If I put a quart in, because a full, deep, nine and eighth inch frame, both sides will hold a gallon of syrup. Not quite. Not quite. Not quite. It's about five to seven pounds. Okay. And a gallon is 12 pounds. 12 so pounds. it's just shy. Yeah, but, uh, you know, if, if, would it be a thing, it's going to warm up almost 80 degrees Wednesday, to open the hives up, go through them, check, check stores. If there's a lot of empty holes, put some quartz on there. Yeah, Because no, they're going to have two or three days warm. As soon as it gets cold again, it, they're, not, they're going to quit, or they still will come after the syrup. But they're going to burn as much energy of storing the syrup as the syrup is giving them. Uh, that's a good question. I don't know on that part because they do have to dehydrate it down. Mm -hmm. So they've got to take it in. And that's one of the reasons why in the winter, if you feed, you feed the two to one because it's twice as much sugar. Mm -hmm. That means there's less water in there for them to have to dehydrate and get rid of. But it does take a lot of energy for them to do that and a lot of constant work, which then also increases the humidity inside the hive. So what you got to kind of 
that's one of the reasons why for like the northern states, we said when the temperatures get an average of 60 degrees mm-hmm. or lower, you stop feeding liquid. And that's mainly because once they dip to that point, if they're not coming back above it, then if you're still feeding, you're increasing the amount of moisture inside the colony, which then turns to condensation on the top, which can rain down and, and cool the bees off right. and actually cause them to die. So the same thing applies to us. The, the trick, though, is when do we really stay at 60 degrees or below? Our average winter temperatures are about 60 degrees, yeah. 61 to 64 for an average winter temperature. Mm-hmm. So for us, we kind of walk this fine line between that, right? There's a lot of times where we could be feeding. So if you're looking out, and I'd say look at the two-week kind of ahead forecast— we know we're going to be in the mid-60s here these next couple of days, and then we're going to jump up into the 70s. Right. So if you started feeding and you knew that you had two weeks where they're going to be in the 70s, you could feed them on week one, but give them week two to go ahead and continue processing so that by week three, if the temperature drops again, they've already got a lot of that processing done when it was warmer. But it kind of comes back to, do they already have enough food to make it through? Now, again, circumstantial and situational, right? So the same thing that you read on this small entrance and not to use it because bees would die and pile up in front of it, right? Also said you needed 30 pounds. Oh, yeah, 30 pounds of stores. 30 pounds mm-hmm. of stores. Now, what did we just talk about on frames? You're talking about uh, what me and you talk about is three frames. <laughs> three, and right. That's about 30 pounds of frame. If, it, if it's five to seven pounds per frame. Right then you're looking at, like, what, a minimum of five deep frames Mm -hmm. could, in theory, get a colony all the way through winter. Mm -hmm. That's a drastic departure from what we think of, right? Because everybody has learned beekeeping through the northern states because all the books and everything are based up there where you've got five to six months of this brutal winter and they've got to have 100 plus pounds or like I think the one was like 170 or something like that. Something like that. 140. It was Mm -hmm. a lot of honey in there. And then you turn around and you look at Central Texas or you look further south and you're like, 30 pounds, really? That's it? Just 30 pounds? But if you look at it when, you know, remember I talked about breaking things down to a very smaller measurement because we don't always just deal with Langstroth boxes. So it's really easy in a Langstroth to say, well, if you're in the southern states, you need a deep box of bees and then a medium box of food and you're good to go, right? Mm -hmm. That medium box is going to be about 40 pounds of honey. So that's actually pretty close to the average of what they're saying in that article. But what if you don't have a Langstroth box? What if you have a top bar? How do you do that measurement in the top bar? Well, you go comb by comb, right? What if you don't have a full-size colony? What if you have a nuke? If you've got a nucleus colony, you only have five frames, right? Mm -hmm. There's no way that five-frame colony is going to be able to get 30 pounds of honey because if it did— it would mean that every one of those frames was completely full, and that can actually be a problem. They still have to have open comb to bury their heads in to vibrate and generate that heat so they can actually stay warm. And so you don't want to feed them to the point that they completely fill every last inch of space with honey or you know dehydrated sugar syrup. Right. So you, you have to be able to discern, take the information in for what it is, and then try to break it down into the components of what is it really saying, and look at how does that apply to your situation. I can raise nukes, and I can get the nukes to survive over winter. They don't have 30 pounds of stores in them because that would be every comb in the colony. Oh, yeah, yeah. They also don't have 30,000 bees in there. They've got like 10,000 bees in there. And those 10,000 bees 
are in a smaller space, which means they don't have to generate as much heat because they don't have as much space to warm. They can be better insulated, especially if I have multiples and I mm -hmm. put them side by side by side because mm -hmm. then they kind of share the heat amongst themselves. And they don't need as much food because there's not as many mouths to feed and they're not that big. <laughs> so right. it's all circumstantial. It's all based on each situation that you're looking at. Um, and I know that we've said that like 12 times now, but I really want everybody to understand that it is not a black and white scenario. Beekeeping is never black and white. There are so many variables in such a black huge, vast, it's black and yellow, <laughs> but there's such a huge, vast gray area in there that, you know, that's where all these, the contradiction comes in. That's where it applies to this one situation, but it doesn't apply to your situation or, or mine doesn't work, but yours does, you know, it's all based on those individual things. So if you go back and you look at all of the information that we've given everybody for winter prep in the northern states and you equate that over to winter prep for the southern states, it basically comes down to if you possibly can, depending on where you're at. Again, there are some areas that don't really have a strong north wind, right? Right. But if you do, put up a wind block. Doesn't matter necessarily if it's hay bales or if it's a panel or whatever that you can do to, to kind of block the wind from it. Wind going across the colony can rob it of the heat because the wind, it's just like in your, when you look at the weather forecast for yourself, today's high is going to be 20 degrees with a wind chill of negative one. Well, that's bad. The ambient temperature out there is still 20, but with the wind sucking and pulling all the heat away from everything, it super chills it. So if you can put that wind block up, then your hive would stay around 20 as opposed to the negative one because it's not being hit by that cold air and robbing it of the heat. So wind blocks are good, but again, I don't necessarily build a wind block, or I put my colonies in an area, kind of like we did with yours, where there's a curve, like a natural barrier of bushes and trees, that will kind of act as a natural wind block. You can do things like right. that as well. So the wind block is a good thing. Do you need to wrap your colonies down here in the no. southern states? Not at all. Can you? Absolutely. If you want to go through and you want to wrap them, go for it. It's not going to hurt anything to give them extra insulation. They normally live in a tree. That tree is providing a minimum of three inches of solid wood, if not more, depending on the type and age of the tree and the, where that cavity is, right? So that is insulating them from the outside. So if you want to go through and you want to wrap your colonies, go for it. Wrap them up. Make sure, though, that they have that upper vent. And as we are learned earlier, the upper vent is twofold. The primary thing for the upper vent is to help basically relieve some of the internal moisture from the colony. And that's the main thing. The heat is going to rise. The moisture is going to rise. If there's a top vent up there, it can escape, and that's mm -hmm. better. But if that top vent also can act as a top entrance where the bees can get out, then in the unlikely situation where the bees all happen to be directly above the entrance, all died at once and fell and clogged it up, as you mentioned in the article, mm -hmm. they still have a way out. So bees can still go up out the top entrance and they don't actually die and suffocate inside the colony. Also, if you were in a northern state and you wrapped your colony, two things. What if you are in a place where you get two or three foot of snow? Well, a foot of snow will easily bury the bottom of a hive which means their entrance is now closed off by snow. If there's a top entrance, your bees can still get out, even if there's two foot of snow on the ground. They can still leave and go when they need to to do the relieving flights, and you still have that top vent. So having a top vent in the wintertime is a very good thing to do, but you don't want to be drastically like in excess. You don't want to necessarily put shims underneath there and raise the entire lid. You just want to have a one little inch 
entrance basically at the top, which is made into the inner covers naturally. Um, if you are purposely trying to use a top entrance, mm -hmm. remember what I told you about where the lid goes? Yeah. You turn the, your entrance up on your inner cover. Then you slide the lid forward past where the bee can come through the entrance and go down. Yep. Because if you put your lid on and you've got a top entrance, mm -hmm. it, regardless if it's facing up or down, if you pull the lid all the way to the back of the hive, mm -hmm. it will actually close off that entrance so that it's actually now null and void. Mm -hmm. So you have to push the lid all the way to the front to allow for the air to come out and for a bee to be able to use that for an entrance. So, yeah, that's a very good thing to know. Um, one of the other things that you had brought up, we mentioned this in one of the listener question episodes, but just to reiterate it for those of you here down south, in case you didn't catch it on the other episode, if you still have a queen excluder on your hive... Oh, yeah, take it off. Take it off. Mm -hmm. The only thing that, like, if the queen excluder is on the very bottom because you are literally using it to keep the queen in the colony, right. that's fine. That doesn't matter. But if that queen excluder is above any box in the colony, take it off of there. What's going to happen is through the winter, as they're eating through the honey stores and they're vibrating to generate heat in your Langstroth colony, they're slowly moving upward. And mm -hmm. if you leave a queen excluder on there, eventually they're going to hit that barrier the food is now above them, so the cluster is going to go through the queen excluder, but the right. queen can't. Yep. And that means she's going to be trapped down below, and she will freeze and die because yep. nobody's around her, and she can't get to the rest of them. So queen excluders can be a death sentence in the wintertime. They're only to be used for two purposes, keeping the queen in the colony by putting it on the bottom or keeping the queen from laying in your honey supers during the honey flow. If there's no nectar flow going on and you're not going to be harvesting, you do not need a queen excluder on that colony. Take it off, get it out of there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's kind of the long and short of it, right? I mean, that that sounds drastic. There's all these checklists and stuff that up there. That sounds for, good to me. Yeah. But for northern states, you know, there were all these specifications and specifics as to what you have to do. Southern states... They're not that many to it. Make sure that your colony's healthy. Make sure you've got a lot of bees in there, mm -hmm. but make sure that that is relevant to the space. If you have a small colony that's the size of a nuke, can it survive? Absolutely. But you don't want to put that small colony into a five-box tower. You want to have it in a box small enough that the colony can easily guard it and keep it warm. So it's all, again, situational and circumstantial, right? You need to make sure you've got your food stores. That 30 pounds is a good weight, right. but if it's in a smaller container, go back and look at a comb of bees needs a comb of food. Mm -hmm. You may have three combs of covered solid bees. They're going to need three combs of solid capped food. Um, if you've got a bigger hive, a box to a box. That's an easy thing to do. And then if you can provide a windbreak for them, do it. The only other thing, and we're not going to talk about this until a little bit later in the winter, and we're doing it on purpose, is... The solid food stores, the emergency food stores, building like a sugar camp or a candy brick or any of that kind of stuff, the sugar fondant, those are emergency holdouts. Those are things that if the colony has enough liquid-capped mm -hmm. stores, either honey or sugar syrup, they will not need the solid things. The solid things are not the greatest. They're not the best. They're a last-ditch Hail Mary if your colony doesn't have a lot of food. And that's going to be later in the winter. That's going to be like when we were talking about coming into that February mark or going through and giving it to them. If they've happened to eat through everything they've got by mid-December, then you would go through and give it to them. You don't need to put it in there in October. 
That's that's not the point of the solid food stores. Right. So we'll talk about those and give you recipes and stuff in a later episode. It's not that we're forgetting them. It's literally we're holding off on purpose because we don't want everybody to rush out there and and cram their colonies full of all this solid sugar substitute substitute feeding if it doesn't necessarily need to be done. And he was also talking about something that we have talked about already is open your hives up and when it's, you know, this was earlier, and check your numbers of bees. And he says six to eight frames to a hive. And if you have one that's only got two to three, you should do the newspaper, set it over, set that hive on there, put the newspaper on there, let them chew into the next one. Oh, pull the queen out of the weaker hive killer, and then put that on top of that hive and let her go down. What happens if you let only have one hive? Hmm? What happens if you only have one hive? I guess you go holler at one of your neighbors and no. see if you can talk them out of a beehive. No, reduce the space. Well, yeah, you can put them in a five by five. Yeah, put them in a smaller box. Because, mm-hmm. no, again, commercial beekeeper is going to be looking at everything from the perspective of multiple box Langstroth-style hives, mm-hmm. right? That's that's all they focus on. Yep. And they're probably all going to be the exact same size of box. Yep. So if you are a urban beekeeper or somebody just starting and you only have one colony and you're listening to something like that or reading something like that where they're like, oh my God, well, I don't think I have enough bees in here to survive the winter and I don't have another colony to combine them with. I'm doomed. No, you're not. No. If you got them in a nuke box and they're still barely bigger than the nuke box or they're the same size as the nuke box, put them back in the nuke box. Yep. Make sure that you give them, like if it is a five frame nuke, Give them two solid frames of open for the bees Mm -hmm. and give them three solid frames of food and put all the bees inside that box. They'll do just fine. Yep. So it's all, again, it depends on the individual circumstances. So if you go through and you do look at your colony and you've got multiple colonies and you've got two of them that are kind of iffy, you can combine those two together. The point of that, though, is you still want to maintain space. So if you've got one colony that has two boxes and the other colony has two boxes, you don't want to combine them into a four-box tower. You want them to still be a two-box setup, right? right? Mm -hmm. So when you take that box of bees and you set it on top of the other colony with the newspaper for them to chew through it, as soon as all the bees are now intermingled and combined, Mm -hmm. get rid of the excess boxes. You still want it to be a box of bees and a box of food, not two and two. And that's because... The more space they've got to heat up, the more comb right. they've got to guard, the harder it's going to be for them. Right. Yep. That so, is it. there you go. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm tired. Ken's tired. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the main thing is just make sure you've got enough bees in there and you've got enough food and they're going to make it. Yeah. Keep calm and carry on. Yeah. Don't, and, don't uh, panic. And... and Call the guy that you know that's got more comb and get five more boxes off of him. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, John, no, I'm just messing John there. Yeah, Ken <laughs> Ken has this now warped perspective on how you can keep bees because he he found this little gold mine. And so his perspective on beekeeping is a lot different than, what do you mean you need them to build out this many boxes of comb? Just you go just go to your it. neighbor and buy it. <laughs> no, that's not how that works. That's Not everybody has that situation that they can do for sure. So it's uh it's it's gonna benefit you in the spring for sure, but it is not next fall. Well it'll it'll benefit you in the spring. Oh, yeah. That's when you're gonna be putting them on so that the bees can be making your honey. Yeah. You wait till the fall to put them on, it ain't gonna do nothing for you. 
No, well, just no, tell you to take them back them off. No, yeah, I'll be <laughs> taking them off and making honey then. Hopefully. Hopefully, yeah. Uh, I've got something I want to ask. Sure. Uh, one of the hives that we changed the queen in. Remember the nuke that was given to me, and we put her and put that in an eight-frame box, and then we changed the queen in. Why is that hive still mean? Sometimes the ten frame right beside it that yeah. we changed queens in. Open the hive up. They go, "Hey man, how you doing?" This other hive, you get this close to it, and they look out, and here they come. I'm gonna sting the hell out of you. Well, again, it it could be based on their specific circumstances. Mm -hmm. So the hive next to them probably has more food and has more bees. The yes, little hive. We put a we put a medium on yeah. that when we moved them. But yeah. that little hive may not have as much food in there, and possibly they could have experienced a robbing episode, or there could have been a critter out there scratching on it at night, messing with it. Mm -hmm. So they could already be riled up and in a bad mood before no, you yeah. ever got there. Okay. So okay. it doesn't necessarily mean that their genetics are different, you know, because they all came from the same stock of bees whenever we yeah, were cleaned everybody. They came from everybody. the New York Carniolans. Yeah. Yeah. So, it, again, it just depends on what that specific situation is for that colony, okay. and, and we may not know. Everybody has a bad day, too. Maybe just for that colony, said that day wasn't the day. <laughs> That's when they, Those are the ones that's crawling into my eye, into my suit with me that morning. You were also out there yanking on their entrance trying to get it out because well, it was glued to. in there. I mean, yeah, it was glued. It was propolized in there t tight. But I got it open, got it turned, and they're happy, I hope. Uh, but yeah. I was asleep. Yeah, well, you know. I'm awake now. That's just another day. Um, we are going to be back with you guys next Monday for a full episode of the Hive Jive. But until then, you guys be good. Be warm. Yes, be warm. <laughs> be safe. Yeah, be good. We'll Bye. see you all. Bye. You've been listening to the Hive Jive. We appreciate you joining us on our beekeeping adventures. And you can find out more information about today's episode online at thehivejive.com. And as always, thanks for listening.